Hey, I'm Steve Pruitt. For those of you who don't know me and for those of you who do know me, I'm still Steve Pruitt. Um, I have the honor this morning of stepping in for Aaron while he and Marianne are on a little bit of a break. And uh, it's an honor for me to share God's word with you. Before we get going, though, I have a few announcements about the services surrounding Easter. And hopefully I will get this right. If not, you can probably check your written stuff to back check me. April 7th at 6 p.m., there's going to be a Good Friday service, and there's going to be child care available there for all ages from birth to, not all, yes, all ages, birth to kindergarten, and then uh, the elementary kids and older are invited to come into the service. Did I get that right? I think that's right. On Saturday night, the 8th, there's going to be an Easter Eve service. And this one uh, won't have any children's program. It's more for those who would like to celebrate in a smaller uh, setting and uh, those also who are going to be serving on Easter morning. This is an opportunity for you to just come and be blessed. Uh, Then on Easter morning, uh, oh, there aren't, yes, did I say there won't be any children's programs for that one? See, I told you. Not my gift. Um, On Easter morning, the 9th, things are going to be pretty normal. The regular service times and the usual children's programs will be there, so nothing new there, really. So, last week, Aaron shared from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 23. And in the first service, he said he was covering 23 verses. But I noticed that it wasn't actually 23. Did anybody else notice that? Uh Uh-huh. Well, he and I text each other on Sundays, you know, when we're speaking, and I couldn't help it. I texted him back and that uh, let him know that it wasn't actually 23 verses, but 13. And then I woke up in the wee hours of the morning this morning and realized, wait a minute, it wasn't 13 either. It was actually 14. (laughs) So neither of us got it right. So you guys should be glad that we're pastors and not accountants, right? (laughs) Um, It'll be helpful for you this morning if you turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, where we're going to pick up our study. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close by uh, in the little rack in front of you. And uh, if you don't own one, you can just take it with you. Otherwise, you can use it. Uh, Don't quote me on this, but I think we're on page 632 in that Bible if you're using it. It just makes it easier to find. Uh, you can also use the Bible app, version, and track the verses that we're covering and the message, and there's a lot of other stuff about the service there. There's also notes at each of the communion tables, and if you didn't get a chance to grab one of those, you might want to do that so that you can take some notes. You can just go ahead and, and do it at any time. That's okay. So, How about before we begin, we stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. 
it's actually the same verses that Aaron covered last week. He did week 12 last week, and I've got week 11 this week. So there's a bit of overlap. Galatians 3, 9 and 10. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Happy times. You may be seated. I'm pretty sure that uh, most of you didn't come to church this morning to hear about a curse. Um, But bear with me and hopefully uh, before we're done, you're going to see the heart behind that hard saying. And I think that that's going to be very important. We won't just be talking about the bad news of a curse, but also the good news of the blessing that comes through faith. So let's pray before we get into the heart of the passage. Father, we thank you for this study of the book of Galatians over these last several weeks and how it's been challenging our thinking and our hearts every single week. As we open your book this morning to talk about this passage and about being blessed or cursed, would you please just come open our eyes and our hearts, not only to understand these things, but also to see where each one of us is in our relationship with you. Come, be our teacher this morning. We invite you to challenge us and to convict us and also to bless us through the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Sue and I were newlyweds, um, we were in training to be jungle missionaries. And there was all kinds of facets of the training, but there was a phase of the training that was called jungle camp uh, because we were going to be jungle missionaries. And uh, there we learned all kinds of jungle survival skills. We built a jungle hut in the Oregon mountains. We built a mud stove and a bed and had lots of training over a period of about six weeks out in the wilderness. But one of the parts of the training was on the use of wilderness maps and also the use of strictly a a compass to find your way in the jungle. We had an assignment to follow a wilderness trail, kind of a wilderness map to a a particular site there where we could set up camp. And then we were supposed to use a compass to get from that camp back to the main camp. We made it to the campsite and we set up our camp. We had dinner. And then after dinner, we heard this sound out in the forest. And it sounded like what we thought was an elk bugling. That's just that weird sound that they make. And it sounds kind of like a a horn. And so we looked at each other and we decided this is a sight we need to see. So we start off. Um, just walking toward the sound. It seemed like it was really close by. And we got a certain ways out, and all of a sudden, the sound wasn't coming from in front of us. It was coming from over there. And then we'd follow that. And then the sound would shift again. And we just kept following this sound until we were at the top of a hill, and there's no elk. What we found, though was a crazy bird that liked to do high diving 
stuff. Uh, it, it's called a nighthawk. And what a nighthawk does is it goes way up high and it swoops down. And when it flares up, its wings go, Aww. and that was the sound. That was weird. Um, by the time we realized that, though, it was starting to get dark. So we realized we ought to head back to our camp. We came down the hill a bit, and then we came to a road. And there was an option to go this way or go that way. And we agreed that we would go one I think we agreed. Um, or she told us to go this way. <laughs> no. um, I don't remember. But... We ended up taking a wrong turn. And so we end up wandering around for quite a while, but it eventually got so dark that we were stumbling around and we knew it would just be super dangerous for us to go any further. So we spent the night out in the Oregon forest without any weapons, this is in bear country, no weapons, no compass, not even a flashlight, and only one jacket. So she was cold all night long. Um, no, we actually shared one jacket. That's all we had, and we had to just lie there under this tree on the side of a hill and wait for morning. And I can't remember if we actually slept I don't, I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. But I do think our prayer life improved quite a bit that <laughs> night. Um, though uh, my image as a macho husband suffered quite a bit because I got us lost. When the morning light came, then we were able to get back up on one of the hills and I was, we were able to see a uh, forestry lookout station that we thought was on a mountain and across from that mountain was going to be the campsite. So we kind of used that as our guide. But we went into that situation with two false expectations. One, we were expecting to find a great blessing to see our first elk and watch it bugle like that. Uh, but instead, we found this crazy bird doing high-diving stunts. The second expectation that we had was when we started to come back and try to get back to our little campsite, that we would be able to find our way back, and we didn't. Instead, we found ourselves out in the cold, lost in the darkness. Now, anybody who had been down that road before us could have told us, no, you, you don't do that, or that's what the sound is, or you don't take that turn, this is the way back. They could have said, that path leads out, leads out into the wilderness, and you're going to get in big trouble if you go there. If you go that way, trouble, you go this way, you'll get where you want to go. Well, the reason I tell you that story is... Because for the last several weeks, we've been talking about this group of believers in Galatia who were in kind of a similar situation. They, uh, were, they weren't looking for a bugling elk, but they were looking for God's blessing or his acceptance, as so many people are today. They were 
coming out of their pagan religions, many of them, and now they were standing at a sort of a crossroads where they were faced with a task of going down one of two paths. One path was the path of faith where they could just rest in the work of Christ as the basis of their acceptance before God. The other path was the path of law-keeping where they would need to follow the Old Testament rules and rituals either to gain or to uh, maintain God's blessing. The Apostle Paul heard about the pressure that they were under to make these choices about uh, taking the path of law-keeping, but he knew what would lie ahead for anyone who would travel down that path because he himself had been down that path before. In the first five verses of Galatians chapter 3, he presents this argument from his own experience that showed how bad an idea it was to return to the law for God's blessing. And now in verses 6 to 14 that we're going to cover today, he breaks out his Old Testament and he begins to show us from six Old Testament passages exactly where that road, the road to law keeping, leads. So this is an argument from the scriptures themselves. And we'll get to those in a bit. As he's laying out the map before them, he's showing them two different paths the path of faith in verses 6 through 9, and the path of works or law-keeping in verses 10 to 14. He's saying this one is the way that leads to blessing, and this one is the way that leads to being cursed. Which do you want to follow? Do you want to be blessed or cursed? Let's take a look at the first part of the map where we see in verses 6 through 9 that the path to God's blessing, Paul says, uh, which is justification, is the path of faith. He starts off with an example from the life of Abraham, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I'm sure Aaron will, and he has talked about it some, but he shares with us here what Abraham discovered and then what we can discover about the path to God's blessing. I want to start by reading the first section as a whole, verses 6 through 9, and then we'll uh, back up and we'll see if we can understand it uh, bit by bit, okay? Paul says, in verse, starting in verse 6, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So here Paul does two things. First, he uses Abraham as a biblical example and then he shares a biblical promise. In the example, the verse 6, we see that, the biblical example of Abraham, he, that he was blessed by faith and not by law-keeping. He believed God, and the blessing he received there was that God credited, <clears throat> excuse me, credited righteousness to his account. This is the blessing that is talked about in this whole passage, the blessing of being saved, blessing of being declared right, 
with God, which is what it means. The biblical definition of justification is being declared righteous before God, a righteous standing, given a righteous standing. And Abraham got this blessing by simply believing, by trusting that God was going to do what he said he would do. It hadn't happened yet, but he trusted that God was going to do what he said he would do. He was believing, in essence, that same promise that was given way back in the garden to send a descendant of the woman, a seed that would come and would undo the damage that Satan had done in tempting them and drawing them away from God, that this descendant of a woman would one day come called the seed and he would right those wrongs and destroy the authority of the devil. God revealed to Abraham that he was going to send that seed through Abraham's own family line. He's sort of updating the promise or clarifying it or adding more detail that this seed is going to come through your family line. And even though Abraham still had no children and his wife was barren, he believed in the character of God that when he said he was going to do something, it was going to happen. And that faith in God's ability to pull something off was what God used to credit righteousness to Abraham's account. He simply believed in what God was going to do. But then, right away in our text today, Paul brings in a biblical promise that expands that promise given to Abraham, uh, that all nations or all nationalities are blessed through faith just like Abraham had. First of all, he says in verse 7, those who believe are the children of Abraham. Not just the Jews. The false teachers were telling the Galatians something that that seemed right, it sounded right, but it wasn't. In fact, it was a flat-out lie that they were telling them. They were saying that in order to be right or stay right with God, the Galatians needed to become children of Abraham. And the path to that, they said, was by becoming a Jew. And the path to that was by being circumcised and then obeying all of the Old Testament laws to the letter. But Paul says that Abraham was actually justified before He was circumcised and before there was any Old Testament law. And so in reality, Abraham was still a Gentile when God declared him righteous. And Paul's using this to open our eyes to the fact that the door is now open to everybody to be justified before a holy God through faith like Abraham had, whether you are Jew or Gentile. Another thing Paul says about those who travel down the path of belief or faith is that those who believe are justified, declared righteous. Back to verses 8 and 9 where Paul goes on to say, The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That is good news. Here is where you can see that the blessing 
that's being talked about is the blessing of being justified, the blessing of having your guilt wiped away and your standing before God shifted from being guilt-ridden to being righteousness-full. You get that status in this. And all who have faith in the work of Christ, as Abraham did, get this blessing just like Abraham did. Now the next section, and I'll talk a little bit about that later, but the next section is not so wonderful because it talks about the path not to blessing, but the path towards God's curse. And just as the blessing was being declared righteous, the curse here is being declared still guilty, still under condemnation. As Paul continues to unfold and to explain this Bible map that he's laying out, he says, starting in verse 10, that the path to God's curse or the path to condemnation is the path of law-keeping. I want to read those verses now. They begin with this biblical warning. All who rely, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, verse 11, no one is justified before God through, by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. The warning that the law places on us is a warning about a curse. The law places us under a curse. That's a stern warning. And there are three Old Testament passages that Paul is uh, quoting here to prove his point. One's from Deuteronomy 27, one's from Habakkuk 2, and the other's from Leviticus 18. But notice, first of all, in verse 10, it says that it's not those who keep the law Look closely. It's not those who keep the law who are under the curse, but all those who rely on observing the law. These are the ones who are under the curse. All those who rely. If you actually kept the law from the day you drew your first breath to the day you gasped your last, then theoretically you might be okay. Only theoretically. But verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. The problem is that if you rely on your keeping of the law to be declared righteous, is that you have to keep every single part of it. It's not just the Ten Commandments, which you can't keep anyway. It's over 600 societal and ritual laws that were given. Every single part of it. That's the standard. You know, in Olympic gymnastics, you can still get the gold even if you get docked a few points on some of your moves. You can still come out a winner. And that's because you are graded in comparison to all the other people who are competing. But you know, the law is not like that in any way. If you choose the path 
to law-keeping to find your righteousness, then from the day of your birth to the day of your death, you have to get a perfect score. You have to actually be not better than your peers, but as perfect as God is. His righteousness is the standard of righteousness that you're putting yourself under when you put yourself under the law and rely on it. And we know from Scripture that there is nobody on the face of the earth who can actually do that. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And Paul reiterates that in Romans chapter 3 where he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. And he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the standard and everybody falls short of perfect obedience. Unfortunately, God doesn't grade on a curve. James 2.10 says, if we keep the whole law, but we slip up in just one point, we are guilty of the whole law. You become a lawbreaker. One point, and it's done. It's pass-fail. And even one slip-up puts you in the fail mode, in the condemned mode. Because of the sin. So if we decide to take the path of law keeping. In order to find our, our righteousness. If we rely on that. Our right, for our righteousness. Our blessing. Our acceptance before God. We are on a road to condemnation. That's the curse. We're putting ourselves under the curse that comes to everyone who fails to make 100% on the test. We may think we're headed for blessing, but if we just check the Bible map, as Paul's doing here, we'll see that that's not where we end up. We end up under a curse. The law doesn't save anybody. Never did, never will. In fact, it actually condemns Everybody, because everyone falls short of the high holy standard that the law gives us. That's Paul's warning to the Galatians. But fortunately, he doesn't leave us hanging there. In verses 13 and 14, he makes a declaration that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verses 13 and 14 again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. When it says Christ redeemed us, it means that he bought us back out from under the curse of the law. That's what he's talking about here. He actually traded places with us. Everyone who hangs on a tree, that was a, a method of execution for a person who's under condemnation for something that they've done. He chose that path. And the blessing of God that he deserved, that gets put on us 
It's an amazing transaction. He was declared accursed and condemned for us so that we could be declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The blessing is Jesus took our sin and as we trust him and believe that he did that, we get his righteousness. We get that same standing that he deserved. That is an amazing transaction. It is amazing grace. And the bonus is that he doesn't merely justify us and then, okay, you're good to go. He doesn't just declare us righteous, leave us hanging. Verse 14 tells us that he also gives us his Holy Spirit to live out a daily righteousness through us as we respond to the Spirit's leading. Even our daily righteousness, once we're declared righteous, depends on God. You can't get saved, stay saved, get holy, or stay holy apart from God himself, who is the only one who is righteous and holy, enabling you to do that. And what a blessing that is, that he didn't just leave us hanging, say, okay, legally, you're in. Don't really like you, but you're in. Um, He continues to work with us because we are now his children, and he has promised that his spirit will be in us forever and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is good news. It is so good to know that God didn't leave us drowning under the curse of our sins, but instead he did something about it, something only he could do. And anytime we feel like we need to go back to a system of religious rules and and regulations in order to be made acceptable to him or um, kept acceptable to him, we are saying, when we go back to the law for that, we're saying, sorry, God, what you did wasn't quite good enough. You need my help. You need my performance now to prove that I really deserve what you want to give to me. It's, in a way, an insult. And what we're really doing is we're placing ourselves back in the camp of the very system that condemned us in the first place. Do we lose our salvation? No. But we certainly are going to lose our joy. There is simply no other way to be declared righteous before God than to trust in the work that Jesus did for you. Any other path you take is going to get you somewhere else, but not there. You may be expecting blessing as you walk down that path, and it may seem the logical path, but in the end, you're going to be just as lost in the darkness without weapons, without light, as Sue and I were as we went through that crazy uh, jungle camp experience. You know, the law was never, ever meant to lead us to itself. It was meant to lead us to the place where we realize that we can't be righteous in ourselves, good enough to save ourselves, and it was eventually made to, it was initially made to lead us to Christ, to bring us to that place where we are ready for someone else to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So 
I would challenge you to take a look at where you are and what you're really resting in for your salvation. And even what you're resting in for your daily acceptance before God. Are you trusting in what you can do for Him or are you trusting in what He's already done for you? There's a big difference. And if you have already trusted in what He's done for you, please, please, whatever you do, do not go back to relying on the path of law-keeping to find God's blessing in your daily life. You'll end up miserable and guilt-ridden and it will squeeze the joy right out of your walk. I know this. One, because God tells me so through Paul right here and two, because I've tried to walk that myself and it was a a miserable, guilt-ridden path uh, even once I was a believer, still trying and trying and it wasn't until I was able to let go of that and trust in Christ alone and what He already did for me that I began to find joy and light through His Word. May God continue to teach us that our salvation and our continued blessing both come as we trust in Christ alone. That's where we'll leave it for today. The band is going to come up and... uh, lead us into worship and into a a celebration of communion. Uh, Here at Element, we like to celebrate communion every week. And it's not because some rule in the Bible says, if you want God's blessing, celebrate communion every week. We could do it once a year if we wanted to. The Bible really just says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And that's what we want to do this morning If you have a tendency to wander off the path of faith in Christ alone and you wander into religious rule keeping during the week, then celebrating communion can actually be a little bit of a compass correction point for you. Because the bread that we take and the juice remind us of the real source of our righteousness, the body and blood of Jesus whose life was given for us. That is the true source of all blessing. He fulfilled the law in our place. He took his, our sin upon himself so that his death buys our complete pardon and it's all illustrated in what we do in communion. So I challenge you this morning to refresh your heart in your need to rest in Christ, in His work, and His work alone. And to let go of anything that you're hoping for in your own performance, whether it be an Old Testament law or something you put on yourself or something somebody else has put on you. So as we celebrate communion, let's be thinking about that stuff. Father, we're prone to wander off the path of grace We all have the potential to look within, to see how worthy we are to gain your approval, but we know that's not right. We know that our righteousness and our blessing and our approval come only because of Jesus and his righteousness. Help us to learn to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding 
Help us in all our ways to acknowledge you and then trust you to keep our paths straight. May our lives be lived not to earn your blessing, but in gratitude for the blessing that you've so freely given us. And that blessing is in Jesus, our perfect Savior. Amen? Amen.